I'm here with uh, Michaela Talley and Christina Kennedy, uh, who were both former co-chairs, staff co-chairs at the JCSW. So, Michaela, do you want to introduce yourself first? Sure. I am Michaela Talley. I currently work as a program coordinator in the HMS, HSCM Office for Postdoctoral Fellows. So we support the research fellows on the quad at HMS and the dental school, as well as the uh, hospital affiliate postdocs. Um, and so the total amount of postdocs we support are almost 5,000. There's about 850 postdocs um, on the quad. And I have worked at uh, this in this position for, I'm heading into my seventh year. And overall, I've been at Harvard for 15 years. I previously, previously worked across the river at uh, the postdoc office there, which serves postdocs in the sciences, social sciences, arts and humanities. And prior to that, I worked for the W.E.B. Du Bois Institute um, for African and African-American Research, which is now called the Hutchins Center. That's sort of my background here at Harvard. And it's it's been a great 15 years and it's flown by for sure. Um, Christina, what about you? Sure, um, thank you. I'm Christina Kennedy. I'm the Strategic Projects Manager in the Office of Research Administration at Harvard Medical School. Um, haven't been around as long as you two, but it's 11 years at the medical school. Um, my role shifted. A little, I came in as an administrator um, and then the department grew and this role kind of grew out of that. Um, and what we do in the Office of Research Administration is help faculty um, with their pre and post award management and the staff within each department that is helping to prepare the proposals for funding through NIH and NSF and, and other entities. Uh, prior to, let's see, right before I came to the medical school, I was at a consulting company. So it was a big shift from 24-7 um, billable hours to a much lower pace in academia. But it's a good change. Yeah, so. That's interesting. Um, Christina, they came from a corporate background to to the medical school. It's, it must be. It must really be quite a shift. It, well, I'm used to it now, but you know, when I, yeah, when I first came, um, I mean, you have that client mindset and things have to get done for the client. And again, you know, everything's done like billable hours. We have portfolios and it was a small education consulting company, but it really was growing and taking off and it was good experience. But I got to the point where I was like, I, this isn't my company. You know, mm -hmm. they expected you to be. 24-7. And years before, I had worked at Bentley. Um, and I remembered back to sort of that was a good experience for me. I was in public relations then. So I started to look and said, I can't keep up this pace at this consulting company. And I just started looking at um, universities again. And the medical school, I just fell into that. I, today, this I don't think it would happen that way. But what about you, Michael? Where, where were you? So I was working um, partly for myself for a couple of years before 
moving over to Harvard, doing a lot of event support and professional organizing. Prior to that, like in the early 2000s, I was actually a teacher. Yeah. And um, it was great working with the kids, but I did not enjoy the politics of working in a school. And uh, it just wasn't a fit for me. And at the time, I wasn't sure how to do a career change. I was only a teacher for five years. Um, and prior to that, I lived in California and had um, various jobs for family businesses. One was a construction, historic restoration construction company. And so I learned a ton on that job, just running the office and managing personnel <laughs> coming in and out all day. Um, and then, yeah, I, I shifted to teaching. And it just, it wasn't, it wasn't the career for me being in a classroom. Um, and I didn't quite know how to make the transition to educational administration. Like I didn't understand that concept. Um, and I did like working with the students one-on-one, -on -one, but I didn't really want to be a tutor per se. So I just started working for myself because I had a lot of people who in the summers would hire me to do organizing and event support jobs. So, um, yeah. So I kind of accidentally fell into, and like Christina says, I don't know how easy it would be to make that transition now. Um, you know, some people encouraged me because they saw several positions that they're like, you'd be great at this. Yeah. yeah. So. I didn't know that about you. That's interesting, Michaela. Are you still offering organizational and event planning skills on the side? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it it sort of started when I worked for the family run um, construction business in California. They used to do one job at a time, and then the Oakland Berkeley Hills fire happened, and hundreds of houses, very expensive, like two three million dollar houses, all burned down in a fire, and so suddenly they were running five jobs at a time, and they didn't know how to, you know, scale up their administrative wow. stuff and everything. So I just, I learned a lot. I just sort of naturally knew how to do it and learned how to do it on the job helping. And um, yeah, so it's something I like doing. It's, it's hard to be a, to own your own business. You know, um, I'm not, I'm not great at um, knowing my worth, you know, and 20 years ago, I am, I'm better at that now. Um, I wasn't as good as sticking with, you know, people want you to organize their whole house for $10 an hour and they don't want to pay you $30 an hour. So by organizing, you mean like for like people whose offices are in disarray, that kind of professional organizing? Yes. Like a lot of people who had home businesses and like you, they had no organizational system, no system for paying their bills and no system for just getting anything done and usually the businesses were growing so you know when the business started it was easy to manage the administrative stuff but now they actually were, were out there doing the work and dealing with clients and didn't know how to organize their home offices and they realized oh i need someone to help me get this started and then oftentimes i would you know consult with them like i think you really need to hire someone to help you with your bookkeeping <laughs> like you're not a bookkeeper um, 
and you know you shouldn't be hiring me for thirty dollars an hour to create file labels. Um, so I sort of helped them with that part <laughs> as well, which that was interesting. Um, yeah, I didn't do hoarding. I, I couldn't. Yeah, I'm not a psychologist. I can't. But yes, a lot of people, a lot of my clients would give me all the organizing books they'd been buying over the years. Like, and I said, hey, I don't need that. Book. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It was fun. Did you grow up in California? No, I lived there as a little kid. Um, ah, okay. I was about eight. So, and then moved back. Um, my family's all from Rhode Island. So we moved oh, back okay. to Massachusetts um, in between third and fourth grade. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. Funny how I can know somebody for a few years and not know all, all about them. Yeah, yeah. So I, I definitely have, I've popped back and forth between Massachusetts and California. But I've been here now since 97, so. Okay. I'm stuck. <laughs> You're back for good. Maybe not. You never know. I am a, I am a Sagittarius. We don't like to commit. <laughs> I'm a little like that too. I'm a Leo, but I get to a point and I'm coming at that point now. I've been in, I notice at a seven year mark, I call it like the seven year itch. I start to get like, hmm, so what's next? Right. You know, job wise, where I live. It's interesting. I'm right at that mark again. Interesting. See what's gonna what's mm. to come for Christina. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone needs um, you know, I'm in that seven year mark and I'm sort of, you know, I've got I've I know the job really well. It's there's a little bit of a routine, which obviously got disrupted the last two years. Um and yeah, it's like, okay, well well what can I do now in this role? You know, we're a small two-person office. Uh, so. so like I mentioned, you guys were to go both, both former co-chairs of the JCSW. How did you get to that position? And what kind of leadership advice did you take away? I Well, I can talk about how I got into the JCSW, which is literally falling into it as a good description. I had went, gone to an event um because our office is right downstairs from where the events are usually held in the waterhouse room and my boss was one of the speakers so i went to the event and i ran into a couple colleagues there and then i ran into them on campus um and it was whitney who was at the time the staff vice co-chair and she said you know have you thought about running join because I had joined by then and then she said well you and I it didn't even occur to me and she just encouraged me to and so I did I'd, I'd done a lot of work on women's issues you know as an undergrad and beyond and it's something it, it, you know women's issues and equality and fair hiring and all that is been something I've always really cared about so um so I took a shot and the position and um i've learned a lot about what it's like to work in a large institution like harvard or harvard medical school being part of the leadership council yeah it's been really valuable how about you christina it's interesting michaela because i think i came into it around the same time then because i remember whitney mm -hmm. being 
Um, in fact, it might have been even the Dean's Awards. And she was on her way out of the position. And I remember going up and talking to her after and saying, oh, I didn't know you did this because we were together on the fourth floor of Gordon Hall. Right. Um, and I just went, same kind of thing. Oh, this event sounds interesting. Maybe I can meet different people. Um, I never really got to interact too much with faculty um, in my role. So all those reasons. And then probably Diana encouraged me about community engagement. But I naturally sort of fell into that committee because it's I have an interest in always engaging people. Um, and then the whole remote work thing we had started to think about in my department and flexibility in the workplace and all those different topics were, were of interest and still are to me. Um, so I naturally kind of fell into a community engagement. And then from there, I think it was Diana that asked me and recommended that I run. But like Michaela, I was like, I don't know. I'll just give it a shot. And now when I look back, I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> and then once I get into it, I was thrilled and I feel like I walked away with a lot of skills that I wouldn't have gotten my everyday job. I, I completely agree with that. Uh, and yeah, just seeing how a, a committee works like that and the process that it goes through when you're working on a large, you know, I think it's a pr pretty large com committee. The leadership council is about 12 people. Right. Um, so there's a lot of different factors and people at the leadership council meetings. And I loved how, you know, everyone shared ideas so respectfully and collegially, which is what you hope in, in a situation like that. And I know as, a, as the vice co-chair, I sort of held back a little, a lot that first year and sort of listened and watched and tried to figure out, you know, how this worked. And it was amazing to... Um, be in the room with some of the faculty because like you Christina I would I we don't we don't interact that much with the faculty um so that was really valuable and meeting all of you exactly staff co-chairs I would never have you know our paths Christina and I our paths may have crossed but Hardeep and right. other folks like that and that's been so so valuable to grow the network I feel the, the same way. Yeah. Even the staff connection. And I have to give Hardeep credit. I forgot, Hardeep, you were staff vice co-chair, I think, before me. So like Michaela, I kind of sat back, watched, listened, um, used to start the meeting with an icebreaker, which I don't think anybody had ever done. And it was like a great way yeah. to get to know people on another level, too. Um, so, yeah, that was a great thing that was added because I think Hardeep was right after me as staff co-chair. That's right. And, yeah. And then I have to say, I was with Miriam um, and we did it during COVID. Mm. We chaired during COVID. So that was a whole other level of, oh boy, how are we going to make all this happen on Zoom and remotely? And it was interesting, interesting to watch. And we, everybody had a different opinion, but at the end of the day, we all sort of came together and made it work. And it brought more people through virtually, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, because I, I definitely think that we got the um, attendance just yes. went, went way up because, you know, you, you could join from wherever you were versus having to 
like let's say drive across from Mass General to um, Longwood, which could <laughs> you know can take any. You can pick your time and how long <laughs> how long it takes to get um, over to Longwood um, from over there. But what was your experience that? about it that was unique, that is unique. I think for me, the part of sharing with the faculty, I'm back to that point because staff and faculty, we interact, but not in that way. I mean, I think that's really unique. Um, and I was fortunate that my co-chair saw the skills I had that she probably didn't have, right? You know, administratively and sort of just knowing, um, like Michaela mentioned earlier, navigating through a university or a institutions such as us, um, faculty would see only one side of it. So I feel like we complimented each other and she learned from me and I learned from her too. Um, that's a big takeaway for me, I, I think, in addition to all the other folks too in the room are on the Zoom. Right. That's interesting about not working, having worked with faculty or not working with them, which is like completely the opposite for me. You know, almost all of the stuff I do is with faculty and has been. Um, so it, that's an interesting perspective for me as well, that that, that would be uh, an experience that you, you, that this gave you. What about you, Michaela? Yeah, um, it's interesting because I feel like I've, my experience at JCSW is like almost been in re reverse because I went right into the leadership group and now I'm actually working with the community engagement subcommittee and I'm the staff co-chair for that. And I, I can feel at every meeting and every interaction, all, everything I learned being on the leadership council, like understanding um, how the faculty need to engage because there's, I'm actually, there's two faculty co-chairs mm. and, um, and, knowing to assert myself and not letting, you know, just all, you don't need to always defer to the faculty co-chair. You are co-chair. And that's been really, that was a really valuable thing. My, my co-chair um, on leadership, Stephanie was great. Um, she had a ton of experience leading things. And um, I just, I loved her style um, and we worked great together. Um, and then, you know, seeing what, Hardeep, um, and I forget who your faculty co-chair was, Hardeep. Valerie. But, oh, right, Valerie, oh, who Valerie, I love Valerie. Yeah, Valerie's And watching how, how you guys transitioned and the things you implemented, like the icebreaker and the much more formal um, agenda and theme. Um, and so bringing some of that, those things I learned in leadership council into the, the subcommittee, which has been great. It's been great to be putting that into action. Um, with a new group of people. I'm glad we have you doing that, Michaela. Yeah, I, I questioned about doing it. And then I said, you know what? We need a staff person yes. on that committee. Yeah. And um, I, was, I was, was concerned that the faculty were gonna be too busy and everything was gonna fall on me. Yeah. And so um, it's not happening. And I sort of helped make sure it wasn't gonna happen, great. but yeah. But it's been great so far, yeah. And that's interesting too—the balance that we have to keep of a lot of things when you're with this group. I mean, it becomes a lot of time you put in, which yes. so you do have to balance, I think. 
So Michaela, it sounds like you were like, okay, I, I learned from the leadership council about making sure that I wasn't going to be doing all the administrative stuff for the community engagement, but, you know, but I can also assert myself in, in, in when you can see things going in a particular direction or. Yeah. Yeah. There were, there are times when I, I don't always think the way everyone else does. So sometimes you, ha and I learned being on leadership council that you have to speak up, even if your ideas a little different from everyone else's or sometimes it's the well this is how things actually work right like logistically to get stuff done so let's make sure to think about that and you know i you don't always want to be the contrarian which i don't think i am but i learned that it was really important to speak up when you had a differing opinion um even if the group went in the, the other direction it was important to make your voice heard that was a huge lesson. I love that. I was just thinking the same thing, Michaela. It's like I found my voice, I feel like, on Leadership Council. More so for me than, I think, community engagement. I was just getting my feet wet when I co-chaired yeah. that. And But what I did love about co-chairing community engagement was I was able to recruit some people, like Melody. So yeah. Melody was one of them. Um, Shoba, some other people that had been, I've seen be active since then, which is nice. And yeah. now Melody's on leadership council, so. I feel like uh, community engagement, when I first started, it was like the one that no, the subcommittee that nobody wanted to um, yeah. be on. But now I think I'm really hoping that we've we've turned it around a bit and, and made it, you know, like, no, actually community engagement is really important. You know, you get to like um, decide on a couple of events and, you know, what 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 more can be done to you know either get people to attend or know more about the JCSW or just just in general you know have visibility I think um, and like and hopefully this podcast is one of those things as well that people will hopefully listen to and um, find enjoyable and find informative um, in in terms of just learning about the JCSW as and as well as people's experiences with it and the the kind of things that you take away because I would definitely say echo exactly what both of you were saying in terms of my experience being a co-chair in in terms of understanding how to lead a meeting which I'm still probably not that good at because um but um but I try um and just in general uh, you know working with people that I would never have have um, gotten to work with and in a format that that you know we as staff members don't normally aren't in that kind of a format yeah either absolutely yeah, I'm in a support role, so I'm rarely leading a meeting. You yeah. know, I'm setting up a meeting, but I'm not generally leading a meeting. So, yeah, the first time I had to lead a meeting, I was like, okay, what do I do? <laughs> no, and I just sort of, you know, that was why my first year of sort of hanging back and watching, I was like, okay, set the agenda, you know, leave breathing space for yeah. um, ideas. 
you know, you don't have to fill every minute with words. And yeah. I learned that too. That's an interesting one. Leave some breathing space. I always was very regimented with agendas, setting them up and so forth too. And I learned that as well. I think it's just having a little breathing space. Maybe not everything's going to get accomplished. And yep. then also sort of like meeting to meeting for me from my role that I'm in. And then JCSW is like reading the room too and getting yeah. an idea of how people are going to, that takes a little time. You know, what are the personalities? Is everybody contributing or speaking or sometimes you have to sit back and really watch and listen too. Yeah, I think that's an important aspect of leadership is is listening and reading the room and, you know, that's sometimes the best ideas, you know, are going to come from other people or in a place you don't expect. So you need to give, allow space for those to happen. I think it's interesting what you're saying actually about breathing space, because I have, um, I mentioned it, this a couple of times that I get this uh, from the Harvard Business Review. I get this management tip of the day, which quite a few of them, almost all of them are always very interesting to read. Um, and one of the things was that they had said about meetings was that, you know, you don't have to have them to this strict sort of agenda, you know, that the time, you know, if you say, okay, this is going to take 10 minutes, you don't have to make it be, if it goes on, then you let it go on because it seems important and, you know, it, there was some some good tips about about meetings as well in there, and that was one of the things that I remember from it. Um, I mean, they had other things about whether you know to really think about, and it doesn't kind of apply to the leadership council meetings because they are, you know, they they are necessary to drive the the programming and and um, just things like that. But one of the things was like, well, who really needs to be at the meeting was, was one of the things. And do you really need to have the meeting was another. Thing. Right. That's been a big one. We've been tossing around in my department too. Do we really need the meeting? You know, what's the length of the meeting? There's a lot of discussion, I think, since COVID too, and being virtual of people's time. And it's interesting. Yeah, and I've noticed a lot of people now they're setting up meetings for 45 minutes rather than an hour. Yes. Because I think sometimes people get in that mindset, like it's an hour meeting, we're going to be there for an hour. And if it's 45, you might get the same amount done. Right. Um, but it gives, gives people that breathing room in between. I, that's yeah. what I've started to do with meetings. Um, but yeah, I started to make it 45 minutes because um, it's it, you, you don't need an hour. And um I think it's also being respectful respectful of people's time as well. Yeah, I was just going to say that they probably appreciate you not taking up the whole hour on their calendar. Right, yeah. exactly. Um, what would be one new professional skill or one and or one new personal skill that you would really like to develop? I could go with the, let me start with the personal one because I've been working on that a little bit. More mindfulness. Um, in my day, personally and professionally. And I think during COVID, again, it pushed me more to do things like it. And when we started this Zoom, I heard you all talking about meditating. So for me, I'm really trying to make that change that every day, this, well, hopefully, 
um, some form of meditation, breathing, yoga, whatever it is. Um, and then transferring that into my department and workplace, which is a little interesting too, because not everybody's open to that. But I took a really interesting leading mindfully through um, the university. It was like an eight week course. And it really got me thinking about, okay, here's what I'm trying to do personally. And then how do I bring it into the workplace for some folks in my department who might be like, what? We're going to pause and breathe at the beginning of the meeting. So I've been trying to do small things, you know, not even as blatant as that, but it's a, it's a challenge. It's a challenge, but I'm working on it. So personally and professionally. Okay. I do want to hear more about this leading mindfully, but now you brought that up that yeah. we can find, uh, I, I think that would be interesting to talk about, but Michaela, first of all, with you. So I'd say for personally, something I need to work on and haven't yet is I really want to learn Spanish. And when the pandemic came, I said, oh, now I'm going to learn Spanish. And no, I just watched, you know, Hamilton on Disney Plus <laughs> five million times. So that is still on my list. And I really need to, um, I know there's a lot of great apps to do it. Um, but that would be a great thing. And then professionally, and I think this is a common one, um, and I don't have a ton of chance to do it, which this was another thing I learned at JCSW. Uh, I'm not afraid of speaking in public. I just haven't done a lot of it. I mean, I was a teacher, so I stood up in front of a classroom, and that was very different. And I did a lot of theater stuff as a teenager, um, so I'm not afraid of you know, speaking in front of a group, but I haven't practiced it very much. So it's something I feel like professionally I should probably push myself. Um, you know, I'm, I am really in a support role, so not really needed, but there's opportunities and um, yeah, I'd like to improve that. You know what, Michaela? I still every year say the same thing about Spanish. Hard deep's probably hurt because I took Spanish for years in undergrad and then I just didn't use it. And I kept saying, right. you know what, I'm going to go back to school and take Spanish at the extension school. Hasn't happened yet. Yep. But. Right. Where you could do it for free, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I took a couple semesters. I have a couple friends who are bilingual. And um, yeah, I just, it would be nice. And just, you know, I work with a lot of the facilities folks on campus. Right. And they're all bilingual. I'd like, it'd be nice to speak a little Spanish with them. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That's on my list too. Yeah. So there's the extension school that we as staff can go and get. <laughs> Hardeep is like the poster child for the extension school. She's always <laughs> encouraging me. When are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? Well, it's true. It, it's a it's a resource I tend to forget about, even though we do a, every six weeks, we do orientation where the benefits, they talk about the TAP program. I'm like, oh, yeah, tuition reimbursement, <laughs> three classes. Never too late, I keep telling myself. Right. So I have to go in a couple minutes. Okay, Michaela, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Nice to fun. see you and learn more about you, Michaela. It was a nice conversation. It really was. I enjoyed this. Yeah, I learned a lot. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye, Bye Michaela. Thank you. So, so I, yeah, I'm interested to hear more about this uh, leading mindfully. I started doing some of the mindful classes that they offer through work life um, over the course of, again, through COVID and all that, taking advantage of what was offered for us 
And then I was invited to participate in this leading mindfully in the era of continued uncertainty. So I really got a lot out of it. Things like training your attention, um, actively manage your emotional state, cultivating compassion, curiosity. These were some of the sort of the class highlights, strengthening your communication habits, and all of these things doing in a mindful way. Um, really interesting. And then he had us come up with a mindful action plan. And he would review it. And, you know, trying to keep it like at a level where we felt like we could accomplish this. So like the 10% happier app was one thing. Okay, I'm going to download this and I'm going to try to do a session, you know, daily or three times a week or something. Um, one of mine was listening more and speaking less. So that's that's a little bit. Oh, gratitude, exercise, a lot of things that you already do. I know you practice a lot of mindfulness. I don't know. I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know if you could say that, but I try to. Let's say I try to. Um, I think the mindfulness thing is, you know, it's like that part of being self-aware and cultivating that kind of self-awareness. Yes is can not everybody can do or thinks about what 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 is my what am i doing in this moment exactly i'm learning how to do that more and more all the time and it's funny this morning i was thinking about it and i'm like i wish i was doing this thinking about more in the moment and how i'm feeling or breathing whatever it is i wish i did this when my kids were little I remember back to those days when they were really young and getting frustrated, frustrated. And I kind of coped with it in different ways back then, but I think now it's more open and available and people seem more interested in it. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's one of those things that it gets, sometimes I think it gets wrapped up into the spiritual yes religious side of things when it's actually got nothing to do with that good point a lot of religions do believe in meditation yes and yet this is not meditation is not about being religious no or at all spiritual i mean it may help you be more spiritual or something like that but it's really just about what is going on in the present moment, I think, is, is really what, what we're talking about. I agree. Yeah, and I think that when I was doing more meditation, which I don't really do, I do yoga, which I think qualifies as a moving meditation. Yes. <laughs> so, but what it allows you to do is like to take that brief moment of like, okay, how am I feeling? How am I going to react? And and for me, you know, when people you you you'd hear people say, oh, you know, don't lose your temper and right. you count to ten. I was like, how how on earth can you do that? I know. <laughs> There's no time to count to ten or whatever. But now I'm like, okay, having done that meditation, doing yoga, you get that moment where you can check in with yourself and say, do I really need to say anything or do I need to react? Yes. Yes. And just slowing down. And now, and then for me now, I'm sort of bringing it to how do I bring it into my workplace too? Because 
so much of the work everybody does is deadline driven or I don't know. It's just always everybody's on the run and interesting stuff. So a lot more for me to learn, but that really sparked my interest even more that leading mindfully because, and I was also excited to, you know, that we had that opportunity and that it was being offered and being talked about in our workplace. Yeah. So can you give an example of, of like when you've used it? You know, when you when you've been like, okay, this this is me leading mindfully, or this is me putting into action something that I learned in that course. Yes. Yeah. Just the basic, like even taking a breath before you start the meeting and saying to everybody, let's just take a minute to pause. I know everybody's just come in from other meetings, you know, some of those things. Um And again, I think the listening more, I'm trying to listen more because I tend to be the one because I have projects that I manage and stuff that I'm always jumping in saying, well, when are we going to do this? And what about this? And what about that? And trying to like in our leadership meetings, listen more and understand people's perspectives. And if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And just the breathing, you know, to stop and take a breath and um Yeah. So. I mean, uh, so how do people react when you're like, okay, let's uh, everybody just take a moment to like, <laughs> I, like breathe, I, you know, I mean, I have to keep trying it because I've tried it a few times and I think it hasn't gotten even heard because everybody's in such a, a rush. And then I've also kind of just naturally been like, okay, as people are coming in, I'm not going to say too much. And then they're just going to be like, how's it doing? How's the weather? You know, like giving people a chance that way to, more work to be done though yeah but I also like the, in things like that whether you know when you put in silence yeah you can bring people's attention to to what's going on yes absolutely absolutely and it's funny some people don't know what to do either when there is that silence whether they're supposed to talk. i think it's harder in on the zoom i don't know what it would be like in person i mean in person we're more chatting as a rentering a room and right but you can also be like okay let's just have a moment of silence or something like that do you know like, yeah. it's sort of like the reverse or the more uh i almost want to say the more mature way of having a, an icebreaker you know it's like it, it, i know you know like sort of you put in the icebreaker to like get everybody you know, centered or thinking about something yes. or whatever that whatever right. it is. you're like, okay, this is, you know, you can get everybody kind of grouped around something. Right. Yeah, you were doing it. You were doing it with the icebreaker just in a different way. That's right. a good point. Right. Right. So, so it's just a way to get everybody together, I think on, on the same page, but yeah, it's whether or not people choose to to do it or not. I mean, it, it's sort of up to them whether they choose to participate or not, but, but right. it's like, this is how, this is how we're going to start this meeting is, is probably, you know, and you can like resist it if you want to, but this is just what we're going to do. I, I, I don't know. That's like, I don't know. What, what kind of things do you feel passionate about, Christina? I know you've mentioned them, some things. I think, you know, in the workplace, I definitely, it's about, the balance, even though there's never going to be a balance, but 
um, the flexibility piece. That's big for me now. And the culture, trying to create a culture um, is difficult. It's such a big institution. And then I see it even within our own department. Right now, those are the things I'm sort of passionate about in the workplace. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you're passionate about creating a, a culture of what kind of culture are you hoping to create? I, you know, a culture that is um, open, that encourages um, learning, and that encourages it's okay to fail. I think that's another interesting point that came up with my group in a retreat that we did. It's like when you're at an institution like we're in, I think there's a, a resistance or a, a worry to fail. And really, we should be teaching people it's okay to fail. Um, that's how you learn. So we, we've kind of been breaking that down too, which is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. But then our own group, because we have, you know, like your group, I mean, really highly intelligent, accomplished people. And um, I mean, in the science, it's a little different, the failure piece, but in the work that we do. I think that it's a, it's the same wherever. You mm. know, you, you can't know whether something's going to work if you don't try it. And you also have to be willing to fail at something, to think that it's something's going to work, but then it doesn't. And then being okay with it and then moving on. Yes. Yes. Learning from it or whatever, whatever it is, but it, it, yeah, it's like not, it's, it's sort of saying it's okay if this doesn't work. Right. And we don't talk about that really. I don't think in our broader culture of where we work. No, I, I think, you know, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and read that some things and People say it a lot, but I, it's, it's not really well defined. Because mm. um, I can see it even just with my, my team, it's perfection and thinking we have to know everything. No, and I don't know everything, you know, try to admit that. Right. I think that that is a really good example of failing. It's not like trying something and it not working out, it's it's also that that sort of saying, okay, I don't know the answer to this question and saying to someone, actually, I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? Exactly. And I think, yeah, I think that kind of environment is really important because in those kind of, if you have an environment that's opposite to that, that's when like the big mistakes happen. People are afraid to speak up or ask for help. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they think they like, oh, I'm not going to ask for help because they this, that, and the other, they're thinking, and that right. they then go and just decide for themselves, and it turns out to be wrong. All right. Yeah, bigger disaster, right? Right, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I think that is really important. That's today, Hardik. You know, you could ask me the same question next week, and maybe my fashion will be different. <laughs> okay, thanks, Christina. That was wonderful. I really appreciate you taking the time to do something different, be vulnerable, um, you know, not afraid to fail. Thank you, Hardeep. You made us very comfortable. And I think this is a great opportunity for other people if they want to share. And um, it's just a great chance for JCSW to do podcasts.
Thanks for your work on all this. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.